When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. My guest, Melinda Patrick, is a Christian whose daughter came to her in 2011 saying she has same-sex attraction. Melinda, a devoted Christian for many years, was teaching women's Bible studies on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, was highly involved in the women's ministry team on a rather large church, and she ran a ministry in her own home. I was interested in this conversation for several reasons, two of which the church struggles with being in the world and not of the world. And Christians, including myself, have a hard time speaking truth in love. How do we truly love like Christ and yet not compromise the truth in the process? And why are we making it so hard? I can't remember now which one of us said it. I think it was Melinda. But she said, God's word is an equal opportunity offender. So that's for believers and non-believers alike. So it's the process of going beyond the offense to discover the heart of God. And I feel that is exactly what Melinda did. I had wanted to hear from the heart of a mother, a Christian mother, who can't simply throw scripture around to make herself feel better, or who has some distance on the particular topic of same-sex attraction. A mom who loves her daughter dearly and would lay down her life for her without hesitation, but whose heart also knows that to love as Christ is to choose the purest form of the highest love. Melinda shares that when her daughter came to her and professed her same-sex attraction, she did everything wrong, with the exception of seeking God to find out what he had to say. She adds, when my daughter came out of the closet, I went into the closet. Of the many beautiful things that Melinda shares, this one has me looking at my life differently. It's based on the prayer that she prays. She tells us, we've got to quit being so in the moment focused. And one of the greatest prayers I pray for myself is, Lord, do not give me a temporal perspective. Give me an eternal perspective. I know I can be so caught up on the fact that things aren't looking like I think they should, or I'm not seeing any movement, no progress markers that tell me things are indeed changing. But the truth is, We do not have access to how God is pursuing and transforming, but we do know that first and foremost, the God of the Holy Bible is the God of relationship, and he is patient and kind with us in the process. What Melinda has for us here is for both those who love someone with same-sex attraction, as well as those who simply want to know how to truly love like Christ. Melinda Patrick, thank you so much for being here today and being willing to have this sensitive, intimate conversation. So thank you very much for being a guest today. Oh, it's an honor, Sherry, and thank you for inviting me. I'm I'm excited about our conversation. Oh, good, good, because I am too. I really want to know God's heart and his extravagant love for the homosexual community. So talk to me about why you're willing to have this conversation. Mm. Back in 2011, my daughter came to me and told me that she had same-sex attraction And I was a Christian at the time. I had actually been a Christian for many years of my life. In that time in my life, I was actually teaching women's Bible studies on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. I was highly involved on our women's ministry team at a rather large church. 
And I ran a ministry in my own home. I opened my doors up once a month to allow women to come in and it was kind of a discipling ship ministry and I, they would have their quiet time. And so it was teaching women how to get quiet before the Lord, how to hear his voice and to give him their burdens. And when my daughter came to me, the best way, Sherry, I know how to explain it. The first thing I probably did every single thing wrong. The only thing I think I did right is pray. Mm. But she, when she came out of the closet, I went into the closet. And I'm so thankful that the Lord met me there. Mm. But instead of doing, you know, like finding people that I could talk to, looking out for resources and all, all those kind of things, I just tucked myself away. Mm. And the enemy had a field day with me there. I remember uh, pulling myself off of women ministry teams. As soon as the Bible study would end, I would let them know, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be teaching anymore. So when Wednesday night ended, I pulled myself off there. When we came to a place on Sunday that that was a good stopping point, I pulled myself off there. And eventually I pulled myself out of the church that I had basically raised my children in. Mm-hmm. And I went to a church where hardly anyone knew me and right. no one could ask any questions. Right. I tell parents this often that right now your focus is on your child or your loved one. Some of your listeners may have a spouse that is struggling with transgender tendencies or homosexual same, same-sex attraction tendencies, but God has something in it for us as well. It's mm-hmm. not just about the person that we love and is going through the struggle. God has something in this for us as well. And when I began to pull myself off of these things, I also shut down going off with friends and I began denying or, you know, coming up with excuses to not meet for coffee dates and just basically started hanging out at my house. And, and I will be honest, there are some times that I spent nights in my closet and the enemy might've led me there, but the Lord met me there. Oh, that's good. And God had something for me. And the first thing was to build back up who I knew God was Mm -hmm. and begin to walk in the truth there. So it was, it's been a long journey. It's been a little over eight years now, and it's been a process. Anytime tragedy comes in or when your world gets flipped upside down, there is an identity crisis. So now there's really an identity crisis in your heart with God. What is your identity crisis with God? You know, I was a praying mom. The moment I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, I began praying for her. And when they placed her in my arms, those prayers continued with her. And one of the things in my retreats that I do in my home is I teach women to hear the voice of God, to get quiet and to learn his voice. And all these things that I had been teaching other women, I had I had taught a Bible study on our identity in Christ. But then when this happened, I became angry with God. God, I was a praying mom. I was a mom who I thought I listened to you. I I didn't think I just prayed, but I thought I also took time to listen to you. Why did you not let me know this was coming? Mm -hmm. Why did you not stop this? And all these questions began to bubble up. But I found through, um, through all of this, Sherry, that I can know who I am in Christ, 
I can know all the verses. People can tell me all the things. I can sing all the songs about who I am in Christ. But if I don't know who God is, then all those things don't hold the weight Mm -hmm. because my identity is found in Christ alone. And if I don't know that he is the God of all gods, Mm -hmm. the creator of all things, the one that holds all things together, then I can never walk fully in my identity and who he says I am. So God had to take me back. This is who I am, Melinda. I am good. Mm -hmm. I am just, I am right. I am loving. I am kind. I am patient. I bestow favor and honor. I am a savior, redeemer. Mm -hmm. I am a healer, all these kind of things. He began to show me that. And that even in this, God was good. Even in this, God was not out to take me out. He was not there to take my daughter out, but he was working something good in the midst of this. And I had to learn to trust him Mm -hmm. and to surrender to that, to him. And then the next thing was I had to begin working on my identity in Christ because what, what was revealed in this, and I don't know, there's a saying, I I don't know the exact saying, but basically when you go through a trauma, when you go through a hard time, the real you bubbles to the top, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's going on inside is revealed. And I began to understand, I might've been teaching all these women about their identity in Christ, Mm -hmm. but I was finding my identity in my children. When we find our identity in anything other than Christ, that the enemy can, it's an open target. He's going to come and he's going to get it every single time. And I was finding my identity in my children. So when my children did something good, I was good. When my children did something bad, I was bad. Both of those things are wrong. Both of them rob God because when my children do something good, it's not because of me. Mm. It's the work of the Lord in them Mm. and who God has called and created and fashioned them to be. When they do something wrong, it's not about me either. And so I had to learn to begin to surrender those things to the Lord and walk in who he was. And when I began to walk in who he was, I was confidently able to begin walking in who he called and created me to be. Even for me now, I'm learning to not just have faith, but to love God. Yes. And to discover him as the lover of your soul, as that bridegroom. So I'm moving from simple faith of checking off all the to-do things, like you're saying, singing all the right songs, saying all the right prayers, things like that. So this faith that we're modeling and yet moving into really discovering his heart for me as an individual, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation, because I know that God has a tremendous love for everyone. But as Christians, And maybe we should define Christian as a basis for when we're throwing that word around here in this conversation. I believe Christianity is a process of uh, maturing. It's a process of discovering God's heart. So for me, a Christian is someone who is consistently digging in to who God is in every situation that life presents. And so looking at life through the lens, looking at yourself through the lens of God's heart, not a checklist. What's your definition of a Christian? My definition of a Christian is a Christ follower, Mm -hmm. someone who chooses to follow after Christ, regardless of what life brings to them. And it's someone who has, has made that commitment. Father, I know that you gave your son as a sacrifice for my sins. And so I receive that as a gift and I want to walk in 
the the work that you allowed on the cross through the crucifixion and the resurrection and and I want to follow after Christ. Mm-hmm. It's it's doing the work just like you said. It's not just checking off the things, but it's a personal relationship. It's an intimate follow. You know, you look at the disciples and then you look at the Pharisees. The disciples are the ones that followed after Christ. And there were more than 12. When you read in the New Testament, he chose the 12, but then there were other disciples. And these were people that just gathered on the sidelines and chose to follow after Christ. Mm -hmm. But then you have a clear distinction about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones who checked off the box. They followed the laws. They, you know, memorized the scripture. And and I, I believe scripture memorization is a spiritual discipline that we need to all as Christ followers be putting into play in our lives. Mm-hmm. But they were more about the rules and discipling was more about the relationship. And I'm following you, Christ, regardless right. of what goes on in this life, regardless of what I have to give up. My heart is for you and with you, and I'm right here. Whatever God says is good, Satan wants to, at the very least, distort it, and at the very worst, destroy it. Yes. What do you think Satan's after here in this context of same-sex attraction? I believe the first thing, God, the enemy always wants us to doubt God. When you look back in Genesis, you can go to Genesis, I believe it's three, and that's where the fall takes place with Adam and Eve in the garden. And God had given Adam and Eve everything. He gave them rule over everything. He gave Adam the the opportunity to name all the animals. And he said, you you can rule over these things. You are to manage, you are to steward all these things. I have given you all these things. And they walked in intimate relationship with God without shame, without guilt, without fear. They walked around in the, in the garden naked with God and had no shame. That's the last verse in chapter two. They had no shame. And then you find the enemy come in in Genesis three. And the very first question that the enemy presents to Eve is, did God really say? The enemy can do nothing new. He still comes to plant doubt in our hearts and in our minds. Mm. Did God really say? And it causes us to question the faithfulness, the goodness of God, God's plans and purposes. It causes us to question his love for us. Mm. And he is still doing this today. And he, and he begins with, you know, the whole topic of today's thing is he's now taking, did God really say that there must be one man and one woman in marriage? Did God really say that you were created man? Did God really say that you were created female? And he begins to take all those things and twist and distort God's word. And in that, what he's causing us to do is to begin to doubt God, his goodness. God God is the creator of all things. And now we are deciding that we are the creators and we are able to become above God and do whatever we please. And that's one of the reasons why I think Satan attaches himself to traumas and then he begins to work them, wedging that trauma and using it to wedge something between us and God. 
-hmm. but I do know that my pain is safe with him. I can lash out. I can lay it out. Did you give God your pain? When all this happened, I was angry at God. I was angry at myself because how could I, as a mom, allowed this to happen? As in, I look back now and as in, I had complete control, right? (laughs) Control is an illusion. Yes, control is an illusion. So I was angry at God. I was angry at myself. I had moments of anger with my daughter, but then I had great moments of wanting to protect her, wanting to pull her back into the nest, wanting to fix things. Now I was a single mom at the time when, when all of this came out, I had to keep going to God with my problems because that's all I knew to do. Mm. And I think that right there is why spiritual disciplines are so important. Spiritual disciplines are important because what happens is they train us in the way that we should go. And spiritual Mm. disciplines are most needed when we have traumas and things like that in our life, because it becomes kind of like muscle memory. Last week, my husband and I were going through a school zone and it was on a Sunday and the, the lights were not flashing or anything like that. But back at the beginning of the school year in September, they put cameras up for that school zone so that if you go through during those certain times and you're too fast, they'll take a picture of your tag and you'll get a ticket in the mail. And so Sunday, we're going through there, and all of a sudden, my husband's truck comes to a slow stall. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And finally, I looked at him, and I said, is something wrong with the truck? And he's like, no, why? And I was like, I just feel like we're barely going. And he said, well, we entered the school zone. And I'm like, but it's Sunday. And he said, yes, but if I practice going through slow, every single time I come through this, then when it's Monday through Friday and I'm in that time during the school zone, I'm already prepared. Right. And I thought, you know, that is a great example of spiritual disciplines. If we practice prayer, if we practice God's presence, if we practice worship corporately and personally, if we practice these spiritual disciplines that Jesus Christ set up, you know, we can read through the New Testament and watch, follow what he did, fasting, Mm -hmm. the spiritual discipline of celebration. Yeah. If we practice these, then when the trauma comes, when the hard times come, we're not going to be left with, oh my gosh, what do I do? I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to fast. All those kind of things. Our body, our spirits naturally move into that because Mm. we have already been walking with Christ and following him and training ourselves. And then it sets us up. And I believe that that is one thing that really helped me through that because even though I was spinning in this trauma, I knew what to do. Mm. And I just naturally went there because these are things that I had already put into practice in my own life. Mm. And so we begin practicing and preparing for these times, not when they happen, but in the normal mundane everyday life. And so that, that is what helped me. I went into the closet. I went into the closet angry But like I said, the Lord met me there and I began to study his word. I began to pull out the gospels. Okay. Mm. If I am truly a follower of Christ, what does the Bible say? When Jesus walked this earth, who did he get angry with? Who was he compassionate with? Mm. Where did he show grace? Where did he show mercy? Why did he flip those tables out of anger? Right. You know, and I began to walk through that and That is one thing we 
as Christ followers, we need to be doing, we need to be living in the mundane, but preparing for those days because we're going to have them. God's word doesn't say if you have trials and tribulations, it says when, you know, when you have troubles as Christ followers, we are going to have troubles Mm -hmm. and we've got to move today in order to prepare for tomorrow. And that's good because the spiritual discipline that you spoke of earlier about reading the word, it also gives us a framework, like you're saying, to understand God, but to also question God. Yes. Like, Lord, I don't understand your word says this, but I, I feel like you did this. But then as you begin to dig in and you're questioning him, he reveals things. He speaks things. For me, he speaks the most beautiful things in the dark when you're genuinely heart-centered and want to know what he's got to say in such pain. And he does have something to say about it. He does care. He does enter into that. He does reveal himself. What are some of the things that were revealed to you in your time in the closet, reading his word and looking at these different ways that he applied emotion and passion? If you've been in the church a while, you'll be grieving with something and people are like, yeah, but God has this. Like, It's going to be okay. God's got plans and purposes. And so we shut our grief off because we feel like, oh, if we're grieving, then we're not putting our hope and trust in in God. And so the very first thing the Lord showed me was to grieve. It's okay. Right. And he took me to the scripture with it's in John and it's when Lazarus had passed away. Mm -hmm. And if you read that whole portion Someone had come to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is sick. He's, he's going to die. But Jesus kept doing what he was doing. Right. He didn't drop what he was doing. He didn't run to Lazarus real quick to save him, to bring healing in his sickness. And the disciples even questioned him. And Jesus said, you know, we'll go. But he continued on his, on his own journey for, I think three more days, mm-hmm. but Jesus said, this will not end in let in death, but this is for a purpose. Mm-hmm. There was a purpose in it. So Jesus continued on. Then he goes to where Lazarus is. He goes on the road to begin to meet Mary and Martha. Lazarus has died by now. He's been in the grave a few days. Martha comes out, you know, and was like, where were you? You know, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. Mm -hmm. That was my question to God that time too. God, where were you? Why did you not spare my daughter? You know, Mm -hmm. why, why is she going through the struggle? Why are we here? If you would have been here, this would not have happened. But Jesus speaks back to Martha and he's, and then he ends up going to where Mary is. He never condemned them. He never brought guilt or shame upon them for grieving. He Mm. never said, I can't believe you don't trust me. I can't believe that, you know, you're grieving hopeless. Mm. He he never did that. And when he got to Mary, he said, take me to where he is. Mm. And then when he went there, he wept. He entered into that grief with them Mm. and said, "I, I am right here. It was something worthy of grieving. It was the loss Mm. of their brother. It was Mm. the loss of one that even Jesus loved. He was close to them in friendship. When we go through this with a loved one, it is worthy of grieving. We need to take time and grieve Mm. and know that God is entering into that grief with us. 
He's not standing over us saying, you need more hope. You need more faith. You need to get in my word. You need to fast and pray. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm going to sit here with you and I'm going to grieve with you. It's worthy of grieving. So I needed to know that it was okay to grieve, that I didn't have to have all the answers. I didn't have to have it all put together and I could grieve and grieve with hope. It's Mm. something that hurts the heart of our father. Yeah. It is going against who he called and created that person to be. It's going against who um, God designed every human to be. It's walking contrary to his word that grieves the father. And then when our hearts grieve, that grieves him as well. So I needed to learn that grieving was okay. I needed to learn that relationship was key. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot of times about tough love, tough love, tough love. And there are times for tough love, but my daughter needed to know, regardless of what she was struggling with, I loved her. She was mine. And if I have want to speak any truth and life into her life, I can only do that by having a relationship with her. Relationship is key. The next thing is my identity. My identity cannot be found in anything other than Christ. Mm. Because when my identity is in anything other than Christ, the enemy will take me down. And I cannot be a good fighting warrior for my daughter or in the army of Christ if I am down. And so my identity has to be found in Christ. I had to learn to begin to take care of me. I, mm-hmm. I can't fix her. Mm-hmm. I can't control her. What I can do is I can begin to take care of me because I said I did everything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> my first response to her, and I look back and I'm like, I cannot believe I said that. But my first response to her was, okay, we're going to get you fixed. I'm going to get you to a counselor. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we'll be over this in six months. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was a sprint. I'm finding out now it's been a marathon, (laughs) but I wanted to fix her. And so I thought counseling is the key. I had been through Christian counseling myself because of some prior things in in my life. And I'll get her to the right counselor. We're going to be done with this. Mm -hmm. Nobody will even even have to know that Mm -hmm. we've gone through this struggle. Mm -hmm. And she didn't need that. She needed to know that I was there with her doesn't mean that I um, believed what she's doing is right. I do not believe that that is who God has called and created her to be, but I can still love her Mm -hmm. through this. As I was raising my children, one principle I always lived by is I will never ask them to do something that I'm not also willing to do. I'm not going to ask them to go clean nasty toilets if I'm not willing to do it myself. I believe I'm a big believer in servant leadership. Mm -hmm. You don't just lead from the, you know, from the top, you lead as you live your life. And, and so if I wanted her to get healing and I am her mom, I needed to get healing when she was not willing to do that. I went back to counseling myself Mm -hmm. because my daughter and, and listeners, your child, your spouse, your friend, whatever loved one, whoever you are loving on during this time, they deserve a whole mm. healthy person 
walking through with them. So I cannot control my daughter in this time. I cannot control her desires, her thoughts, her feelings, her healing, right. her anything. What can I control? Mm. I can control me. I can get healing. I can begin to do research. I can begin to know what she's going through. I can reach out to others who have walked where she is, but are now walking in wholeness with Christ. I can begin to pick their brain. I can listen to their testimonies. I can study God's word for myself. And so that's what I began to do because she deserves Mm. a whole mama. And when God brings her through this, she is going to need a whole healthy person here to walk that healing journey with her. Mm. And, and so those are some things that the Lord really began to work in my life in that closet. Drilling the focus down to who you are in Christ, who Christ is, and then you show up as a mom whole, full, and your daughter gets the benefit of the overflow of who God is because you're filling yourself with God. Because it was God's and it always is to me, God's extravagant love for us that calls us into repentance. Yes. And how can we even hear anything different, especially correction or something we don't want to hear? How can we hear it without love? Mm-hmm. I will say this to Sherry. Once I began counseling, once I really began studying God's word, there were some things in, in, my life that I had to go back and ask for forgiveness for. I repented before the Lord for those. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go back to my daughter and say, listen, I, I, when I said this, I'm sure this hurt you. And I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me when I didn't, when I did not stand for you here, or when I wasn't here, I had to take responsibility for my own actions in, in our relationship. And Again, it goes back to the servant leadership. I cannot wait on her to do that. Mm -hmm. God has convicted me of where I needed to repent and confess. And so I need to move on that. God will work with my daughter. Right. But he also wants to work with me. And I have got to be ready to move when he says move. Ask for forgiveness when he says ask for forgiveness. Give forgiveness when he lays it on my heart to give forgiveness. And so it's, it's very important during these times to make sure we're walking with the Lord on a daily basis. Finding that quiet time, finding that one-on-one time. Yes. Getting the Christian counseling, meeting with a pastor, uh, reaching out and finding testimonies who have been where your daughter, your son, your spouse, your friend is, because I will tell you, I'm in a ministry now, and there are thousands of testimonies of those who were once walking in LGBT, same-sex attraction, transgender dysphoria, all those things, but now Christ has met them, and they are now walking in wholeness and in full identity of who he called and created them to be. I tell parents often, find them, go on Google, YouTube, find the testimonies, reach out to them, send them emails. They would love for you to pick their brain, pick their heart, because that's going to ignite your faith. It's going to give you a little bit of more of an understanding as to what your loved one is going through. And whenever we can understand someone better, we are able to love them better. And so do the research. You know, there are lots of resources out there. So begin studying, begin growing 
in your own heart and mind. That's a requirement, really, to educate yourself on exactly what you're dealing with. Because I feel that most everyone would have the same reaction you did when a loved one comes out to them and that you do all the wrong things because maybe it's there's the first not a time. Handbook. Right. Yeah. There's not a handbook when it comes to homosexuality, transgender dysphoria, same sex attraction. What is Satan after? I'm not sure if it's going to be exact answer because there's no telling what Satan is doing. But I believe one of the things that happens is I, I read a book by Mark Batterson and it's called Chase the Lion. And at the, the last couple of chapters in that book really opened my eyes. When this happened with my daughter and it and is still happening, we, we are not done. We don't have a pretty bow tied on top and put this on the shelf and moving on with life. We are still in the middle of this. But we look at things in the here and now. So I began to do a lot of prayer for my daughter, a lot of prayer for our family, healing where healing needed taking place. But I was praying for in the moment, you know, but Satan not only sees my daughter, but he sees the generations to come. Mm. And when Satan begins to take our loved one with this, he's not only robbing her of the seed that God has planted in her, he's robbing the generations to come. Mm. we've got to quit being so in the moment focused. And one of the greatest prayers I pray for myself is, Lord, do not give me a temporal perspective. Give me an eternal perspective. Because I think, you know, I remember one night when um, this was very early on and my daughter and I were arguing and she went in a room and she slammed the door and I just kind of slid down the wall out outside her door. And I mm. was just so broken that night. And I wanted, my daughter and I had a good relationship and I just wanted to go in there and, and hug her and let her know it's going to be okay. I wanted to make everything right. I missed my daughter. I missed my friend. I missed our times together. And I just, in the moment, I just wanted to say, okay, whatever you want, let's just go with it and let's just have happy here again. But as I sank down that wall that night, so broken, I felt the Lord speak to my heart, Melinda, you can stand for truth and she can hate you now and love you for eternity. Mm -hmm. Or you can give in to what she wants and you can compromise your values and beliefs and she will love you now, but hate you for eternity. Mm -hmm. The bottom line, Sherry, is when my daughter, when Christ opens her heart and her eyes and, and so, so lovingly draws her right. to himself, I don't want her to come back and say, Mom, why did you not stand for truth for me? Why did you lie to me? And so the only way to be able to stand firm in my convictions and my beliefs and love her through that is for, to pray, God, give me an eternal perspective. Help me to see beyond what my eyes are seeing, what my heart is feeling and experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. Give me a greater eternal perspective so that I can make it through this temporal pain because we mm -hmm. want to take this pain away. We want to do whatever we can to not only take their pain away, but let's be honest, I, I didn't want to be hurting either. 
-hmm. You know, what can I do to fix my pain? But we've got to live with an eternal perspective. And the enemy knows that not only is he coming in and robbing this, this child, my daughter, but he's robbing the generations to come. All of these, I'm in ministry with a lady, Dee Barnes. She has a ministry, His Wonderful Works. And she was in the homosexual lifestyle for many years. And the Lord Jesus Christ set her free, opened her eyes. She's now been married a little over 30 years, happily married. And they have three children. They have two boys and a daughter. And not only would the world not, the world not speaking truth to her, would have robbed her of this life. Right. But not only that, it would have robbed the world of these three beautiful children that are serving in ministry, Mm. would have robbed the world of more followers of Christ to shed his light and his love. The enemy, he's not focused on the moment. He's focused on the days and the years and the generations to come. And when we go to fight for our loved ones, it's not just fighting for right now, it's fighting for the generations to come. You kind of layered that a little bit with your request of the Lord not to have a temporary vision of this, but to have an eternal vision of this, because Satan has an eternal vision of what he's doing. Yes. I have a friend who is praying for her son that he would know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal savior and turn his life towards God. And the Lord said to her, I want you to love him today like I've already done that. She has not withheld her love for him, but her struggle and her pain and her question. And so she was pouring out to the Lord and he said, I, I want you to love him today as though mm-hmm. I have done this. When the Lord has spoken to our hearts, we need to live in that regardless of what our eyes are seeing. Because God, when God speaks, he acts, he mm. does it. He's not a God who changes his mind. His right. arm is not too short. Mm. And so when he says, I am going to do this, even though it is not physically manifested itself to where we can see it, we need to begin living as though it has been done. And that gap is real. Like yes. we ask for it, the Lord promises it, or we know that the Lord has done this before and we're pressing into the Lord to do it. But how can we live in the in-between? What does yes. that look like to be requesting, to maybe even get a promise and then not seeing it? It's, it's standing on the promise. It's praying for an eternal perspective. Lord, give me an eternal perspective. Mm. And I'm going to be honest. There have been many times where I have come home from, from a time with my daughter. It's, it's not as much anymore as it used to be, but I would love her. I would enjoy my time with her, but then I would come home and cry and grieve. Mm. Right. And, but I think We need to take the promises that God has given us, especially if they are scriptures. Mm -hmm. We need to write them down. God has given us all the arsenal we need. Mm -hmm. We just have to pick the word up and begin reading it for ourselves. But we have the armor of God. Okay. We we are told to put it on every Mm -hmm. day, daily, just like we get up and dress. But it's the sword of God, which is the, which is the word of God. And we keep it on our side. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. We keep it on our side and we don't take it out and use it in the battle. In order to use that weapon appropriately, then when the enemy comes and says, man, did you really see this tonight? Don't you see how far it's gone? God could never fix this. Mm -hmm. All those kind of things. This is the time 
that I take the sword and I use it. Now I, I pull the sword out. I don't use it with any scripture. I use it with the appropriate scripture. Whatever scripture God has given you as a promise for your child, Mm -hmm. you take it out and say, no, Satan, not today. And you say, it is written for it is written just as Jesus did in the desert Mm -hmm. for it is written. And then you speak that scripture out loud Mm -hmm. and you give the enemy a jab. Now you may have to speak that scripture out every moment for 30 minutes and then have maybe an hour break and go back at it again. But you keep on because the enemy is going to keep coming back. He's persistent, but we even more need to be persistent. But we've got to know God's word. We've got to know his promises for us as followers of Christ. We have to know the promises that God has given us regarding our kids. And we get those things by spending time with him in the word. It's true. And then we pull that sword out. We don't just keep it on our side. We pull it out and we use it with the appropriate scripture. Mm. When when you look back in Matthew 4 and Jesus was in the desert, it says that he was led to the desert by the spirit and he fasted for 40 days. And then the enemy came to tempt him. Jesus didn't just come back with any scripture, whatever the enemy tempted him with. He came back with an appropriate scripture and he said, for it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And that's how we need to live our lives. We are followers of Christ. Mm. What Christ did, we need to do. And there's an investment in that yes. in the time, yes. in the reading, in the discernment and the pressing into the Lord. And when, when I say pressing into the Lord, I mean, questioning as I read, sometimes I'll say to the Lord, I don't understand what that is. I don't, what are they saying there? I'll keep reading and either he'll sh- reveal something to me, show me something later, or in my day-to-day life, I'll get an example of what was trying to be expressed there. It's a constant awareness mm-hmm. of engaging the Lord. It's me. learning to live in his presence. Yeah. Is walking with God. I do BSF. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bible study fellowship, Mm -hmm. but this year we're walking through Genesis and we finished a couple of weeks ago where, you know, God came to Abraham and said, look, this is what I'm going to do with Sodom. And Abraham knew his nephew Lot was there. So he boldly approached God and said, if 50 righteous live there, will you spare the city? Yes. If 45, you know, he kept going boldly before the Lord in his presence, Mm. just saying, okay, what about 30? What about 25? What about 10? He would not stop for that. And, and in that Lot's life was spared because Mm. Abraham went boldly before the Lord and interceded. But then we go a few more chapters out. The Lord has given Abraham, Isaac, who was the promised son. He opened Sarah's womb after, after, so many years of being Mm -hmm. barren. She Mm -hmm. was an old lady. Now God gave them Isaac. God said, he is the one through whom my promise will come. But then God says, Abraham, I want you to take him to the mountain and sacrifice him. And the very next scripture, it says, Abraham rose early the next morning, gathered his son and his servants, and they went on their way. That's the Melinda paraphrase. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've been questioning God over this past week. Why, God, did you tell Abraham one time what you were going to do? And he boldly approached you and asked you to do something different, to spare. Mm -hmm. But yet when you asked him this time about his son, he humbly surrendered and followed. How did Abraham know what to do? 
And I just feel in my spirit is because Abraham such had such an intimate walk and relationship with the Lord that he could understand the to the best of his human ability and with the spirit, with the help of the spirit, he could understand the Lord's heart. He knew when to boldly approach. He knew when to humbly follow. And that's been my prayer. Lord, I want that kind of relationship. I want to know when to intercede, to boldly come before you and ask for you to do something different, regardless of what my eyes see and what you have said will possibly happen. Please do something different versus, okay, God, this is not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. This is not what I thought it would look like. I don't understand what you're doing, but I will follow and I, I believe it's because of that relationship, that daily walking that Abraham had with God, that he was able to discern God's voice, when to boldly approach and when to humbly follow. And that's, that's the type of heart we all need. I would love that intimacy of the whole ebb and flow or the Lord's mm-hmm. pace. I think that's a challenge for me. And the Lord knows that. Backing up just a little bit, you were talking about grieving certain things in your life, I have really learned the value of taking the time to grieve that which has broken your heart and then to celebrate even the smallest things yes. that, you, that bring you joy or put a smile on your face or comfort your heart. Mm-hmm. God will never allow everything to be all bad at the same time. He's always going to throw in little, little kisses from heaven and we need to be watching for those. That's true because he does pierce that which is painful, the sin of this world. He will pierce it with his truths. He boldly walks into the middle of it. He's not afraid of it. He's patient with us. Yes. Especially when our pain comes out in anger and we're lashing out, he's just quiet, absorbing it. It disappears mm-hmm. and you feel his peace. His peace enters into the, into your pain. Yeah. There's no condemnation. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for someone who struggles with same-sex attraction? Oh, that's a great question. So the first thing I want to address there is if you are a listener and you are struggling with same-sex attraction, the same-sex attraction is not a sin, but it is when you begin to align yourself and walk in that identity and you act on it, that's when it becomes a sin. So just having those feelings If you are continuing to set your face toward the Lord, follow hard after him and not act on those things, that, that is not a sin, but God's, God's word for his children is there is no condemnation for us. But if you are not a follower of Christ, that promise is not for you. That promise is for his children. And we have to then look at our hearts. Am I a child of God? We have Christians who profess Christ, but they are living a homosexual lifestyle. So, so my question in that, okay, to that person is, I know that you say you are a follower of Christ, but, but Christ wants every part of you. Mm. That even means your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Have you surrendered everything to Christ? And are walking in, he is he just your savior or is he Lord and Savior? Mm. Because you know, Galatians 2:20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. I 
no longer live. The mm-hmm. life I live in the body, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm-hmm. That is a Christ follower. I no longer live. A dead person does not have feelings, right. does not feel pain, does not fight for rights. Mm-hmm. So have you truly surrendered? Have you not tried to, because we hear this a lot in the ministry I'm in. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed for God to take this for me and he, and he won't take it for me. So this must be who God has called and created me to be. Right. But it's a daily surrender. God doesn't want to take it from you. He wants you to give it to him. Mm-hmm. Have you began to reach out for Christian counseling? Have you found those, you know, my uh, ministry partner talks about this a lot. When she began walking out her wholeness in Christ, one of the first things she did was she looked for those who had been on the journey that she had been and were where she wanted to be, who mm-hmm. had a, a full life, surrendered life with Christ walking in freedom. So if she wants that, then she needs to find someone who has it and say, walk with me through this. How do I get freedom in Christ? Like you have freedom in Christ. It's, it's the same. It's discipleship. It's Mm -hmm. like that for every follower of Christ. If when I began teaching God's word, I didn't just start trying to learn it on my own. I did spend a lot of time praying, asking the Holy spirit to give me wisdom and revelation and knowledge and all those kind of things. But I found other Bible teachers How do you study? How do you prepare your notes? What does it look like, you know, for you to take the scripture apart and to really find out where it is in context? So you find someone who is farther along than you are where you want to be. And you ask them, will you, will you take me under your wing? Will you show me how to walk out this? And many of them just say that they've prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to take it away. And he didn't. So this must be, you know, we're in a relationship with God. If you and I have this friendship, if you called me all the time and I never, you know, I talked to you, but I never called you. I never asked to do anything with you. After a while, you're going to be like, you know what? I feel like I'm like pulling this relationship all the time. You know, God wants us to reciprocate. Mm. He's giving us everything in his word to be able to walk out fullness and freedom in Christ. He withholds nothing from us. The enemy wants us to think he does, but he withholds nothing from us. I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but we have to pick the Bible up and read it for what God's word says and allow us to be transformed and not transform God's word to who and what we want it to say. God's word is offensive. God's word brings conviction Mm. for every believer. God's word gives us almost daily things that we need to change. I just talked about, I was questioning, how did Abraham know to be bold? How did he know just to humbly surrender? It's walking with the Lord. That brought conviction on my heart. It wasn't a feel-good moment. Lord, I had to confess. I had to repent. I have not been walking with you. There are areas in my life that I have not surrendered to you, but this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And so you, we can't just pray and ask God, and it may not even be homosexuality. It may be lust. It may be addiction. It may be lying. It may be, 
I'm not sure what your struggle is, but we can't just keep asking God to take it away and not doing anything on our part. God, I, I know I've been asking you to take this away, but Father, I come to you today and I give it to you. And I may have to give it to you again in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I may have to give it to you 30 times tomorrow, but I'm going to keep giving it to you until I don't have to give it to you anymore. And in the meantime, Lord, would you put someone in my life that will help me walk out this healing freedom process to where I can walk in wholeness with you? Would you put godly people around me? Because Lord, I don't want to make your word transform to me. I want to transform to your word. I want to walk in truth. John 17, seven, it was Jesus prayer for us. Sanctify them by your word for your word is truth. Sanctification, set me apart, Lord. Set me apart. Start this sanctification process in my heart. And I know it can only come by truth. And in order to take in truth, I have to go to your word. Show me in your word. Forgive me where I have been making your word fit to me. I confess that. I repent. And Lord, I come to you today wanting your word to transform my life. But, and it's not an easy process. It's not a one month process. It's a lifelong of learning. It's a lifelong of working and, and, walking in Christ, but it's also a lifelong of discipleship. We're all called to be discipled and we're all called to be discipling someone else. I wonder why the world has such a difficult time and me included. I will go to a guide, a mentor, a coach, uh, whatever it is I'm trying to learn how to do. I want to eat right. I will seek out those people, but I don't think about the Lord in the same way as far as the instruction manual, mentors within the church. I see it as two different things. I don't know why I won't blend it together. You're talking about the Bible's an equal opportunity offender, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, because we want things our way, but yet he's drawing us into a different way, a deeper way of living, a better way. Mm -hmm. His yoke is light. There's no condemnation. His truth sets you free. We're constantly having to lay down our desires or our own way to discover him. But we do the same thing with a new way we want to learn how to eat. We lay Mm -hmm. down our desire for junk food or whatever your weakness is as far as dieting goes or eating the wrong way. But we'll do what they say, or at least for a good couple of weeks. You look at AA. In AA, one of the first things they have you do is what? Get a sponsor. Ah, yeah. You reach out, you find someone who is, a, you know, a little bit farther down than you mm-hmm. and they help you walk out. That's okay. discipleship. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exactly what Christ laid out when he walked this earth. So true. And it not only wor- works as a follower of Christ, it works in every area of our life. If you're a young mom and you're struggling, reach out to an older mom who, mm-hmm. who has been through the seasons of life that you've been through. Mm-hmm. If you are walking through the difficult stages of freshly being divorced and you want to walk it out to the best of your ability as a follower of Christ, find someone who has already been there and ask them, hey, do you mind if I pick your brain for this? Do you mind if, you know, I call on you for certain things? Would you help me as I walk this out? Mm. It's it's the way that Christ lived his life. Mm. Why would we not, except for the fact that we want our life, just as you said a moment ago, on our terms? 
And so therefore we're not living the Galatians 2.20 life. I have been crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. I no longer live. Mm-hmm. Is he Lord of your life? A great distinction. Yes. There's a big distinction between Lord and Savior. Savior, he came and saved me. I believe what he did on the cross. You know, I received that. But is he Lord? Mm-hmm. God, you have this day. I surrender it to you, whatever comes. I'm going to trust you in it for you are always good. You are always faithful. You are always just. You are always right. And you always have my best interest at heart. When we press into the Lord and we make it all about him, and it is all about him, but he'll turn around and make it all about you. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel that he does with me. He makes it all about me. I'm giving him praise and worship, and he gives me his presence, which is peace to me. I feel like when we press into him, we discover the beauty of his goodness. Yes. And we'll never be able to blame someone else for who God is. And what I mean by that is there's broken people in the church. There's pastors who are living a homosexual lifestyle. There's, there's adultery on every pew. I mean, not every pew, but you know what I'm saying? Right. And yet we can't hold God responsible for the choices of other humans have made in their lives. We can't say, well, well, look at this pastor or look at that pastor, but it's not anything we can hold against God. Like we need to go to God directly and question him. Right. It goes back to, you know, I wanted my daughter to go through counseling, but I can't control her. So what can I do? I can't control the other people in my church. I can't control the other members in my family. I can't control the other people in my community. The one person I can control is me. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to become the best whole healed person following hard after Christ in order to help others. Right. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners today that you think might encourage them or something you've gleaned, learned that was important key that you haven't already shared? Mm. I think one thing that the Lord showed me is this was back in my questioning days. Why God? Why us? Why her? Why me? You know, all those things. And at the end of the day, all those why questions were about me you know, but I love Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says that she was fashioned, that she was created in my womb before I even knew. God knew every day laid out for my daughter. Mm -hmm. He knew the struggles she was going to have. He knew the victories and the celebrations. He knew the heartbreak. He knew the mom that she was going to need. And he knew the daughter I was going to need. Mm -hmm. God entrusted her to me. I am held accountable for one as a follower of Christ, how I stand firm in my values and beliefs and don't compromise with the world. I'm to be set apart. I'm to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. But yet as her mom, he entrusted her to me. She is a gift to me. And I tell her that often now. I thank God for the gift that he gave me when he gave me you. We need to trust him with the things that he has entrusted to us. Mm-hmm. I won't know perfectly how to parent her. I will make mistakes. I will have to ask for forgiveness again 
for other things, I'm sure, because we're human. We're in a relationship. Relationships are messy. But we have learned how to agree, but yet disagree, and to love in the midst of the messiness. Because even though she may not be walking with Christ, Mm -hmm. she was still created in his image. We We are all image bearers. We are walking around as broken image bearers. You were saying earlier about humility. It has brought a great deal of humility in my life in a good way, in a good way. I have had to repent of having judgmental thoughts and attitudes. I have had to repent of compromising my values and beliefs in order to meet my temporary needs. I've had to repent and confess for not loving others as God saw them. And so if you have a loved one in your life, Begin to pray that God would give you an eternal perspective versus a temporal perspective. Ask him to allow you to see them through his eyes. When I began praying that, Sherry, God reminded me that my daughter is not her homosexuality. That's just a choice she's making right now. Mm -hmm. She still loves to bake in the kitchen. She still loves to hike and go rock climbing. We still giggle at the same movies. We still love popcorn. We still have all these things. And so I just pray that God will give me the eyes to see her beyond her choices and see her for who he called and created her to be and enjoy her. I can't fix her. Mm -hmm. I can't change her. Mm -hmm. I can't save her. I can't convict her of sin. These are things only the Holy Spirit can do. So what can I do? I can love her. I can listen and listen well. I can pray for her. I can make coming home a place to where she wants to be, where she feels safe. Mm -hmm. And I can love her right where she is. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I can do. And so if you are a listener and you are saying, I cannot do this, I get that. I get that. I struggled. I struggled so hard in the early days and I would go, I would cry all the way to where my daughter was. I would spend my time with her. I would get in the car and I would start crying again. But every day I kept saying, God, I can't love her, but you can. I am an imperfect human and you are a perfect God. You are her creator. I want to trust you with who you have entrusted to me. And it may take weeks, months, counseling, lots of tears, meeting with others, doing research. But if you will surrender your heart to the Lord, he will allow you to perfectly love her or him, whoever your loved one is. Be an empty vessel and let him love them through you. But love also needs to stand on truth. God was never grace here and then truth over here. He was grace and truth. Mm. all the time. And we can only do that with a heart surrendered toward the Lord. Why do you think the weight of grief falls onto homosexuality versus another sin that our child may be committing? Uh, One, I think because it's taking on another identity. So you don't hear people walking around saying, oh, my my son is a fornicator. I'm a fornicator, those kind of things. So I think this comes with an identity of its own. Mm. And they begin to wear that as their own. Like you were talking about earlier about gay Christians. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Anything that comes before Christian, you've made that an idol. That's That's now their identity. Mm -hmm. We don't walk around. I don't walk around saying, Hey, I'm a heterosexual Christian. True. I'm a follower of Christ in every area of my life. And so there's an identity that attaches itself with this. Okay. And it goes a lot deeper spiritually, which that would be a whole other podcast. And I'm not sure that I would be the one to really be able to go deep into that with you, but there is an identity affixed with this. And then sadly, the other thing is many of us have been the fornicators. We've been the ones that have had affairs. We've been the ones that have had all the other sins. Mm. And so in order to call it out in them, then I'm going to have to call it out in me. And I'm going to have to confess and repent and own up to my own. But there's an identity that attaches itself with the LGBT community and an identity that is not of God. Okay. That makes sense because you're going to point the finger at somebody else. You got three more pointing back at you. So you got to be real careful where you start pointing your finger. Mm -hmm. Last thing in your transformation, in your digging into God and discovering uh, his heart for you, for same-sex attraction community. What is something beautiful that God spoke in the dark to you? I, I believe it was a Psalm 139. Mm-hmm. Melinda, she's a gift to you. I entrusted her to you. Mm-hmm. I believe that you are the perfect mom for your daughter. There's no one else. Because when I was in that closet, the enemy kept saying, you're a horrible mom. Mm-hmm. How can you teach other women when you can't even take care of your own daughter? And all those condemnations, because mm-hmm. the enemy gives condemnation. It's, it's God who does conviction. Mm-hmm. But God spoke to my heart, Melinda. Every gift I give is good. I entrusted her to you. Will you trust me mm-hmm. in this? And it really began to open my eyes that he gave her to me. He knew he was not surprised when she came to me that day. He was not surprised over the last eight years of our life. Mm -hmm. He's in control. Mm -hmm. And so I just follow him through this Mm -hmm. and know that if he thinks I can do it with him in me, then I'm, I want to do it. I want to do it to the best of my human ability and show up empty for him and be a vessel through which he can love her. My daughter doesn't need me showing up at lunch dates or going to get her nails done with her. My daughter needs Christ. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get Christ to her right now is for me to live that Galatians 2.20 surrendered life. And show up an empty vessel and walk away knowing she didn't just have lunch with me. Jesus just loved on her Mm. and she had lunch with him. It's a surrendering and dying to ourselves, knowing that he chose me. Mm. He chose me, Sherry. God knit us together in our mother's womb in the secret place. So we come into life and we experience the brokenness of this world, but they're all opportunities to turn to God and discover who he is in whatever context of brokenness or destruction or trauma that we experience. 
So yeah, he's not surprised when trauma comes, but he's willing to walk right through the middle of it with us. He doesn't ask us to ignore it. Don't act like it's not happening. I'm going to walk right through the middle of this with you and we're going to heal. I'm going to show you my heart. Yeah. It's not an inconvenience. It's an opportunity. Beautiful. Thank you, Melinda. I appreciate all your time today and your insight. Quite a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. It's been an honor to be here with you today. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.